Welcome to the Emerging Revolutionary War podcast. Emerging Revolutionary War is a public history platform that explores all aspects of the Revolutionary War with up-and-coming historians and connects this history to the places where it occurred. We strive to make it fun and engaging for all audiences. We have a blog and website, emergingrevolutionarywar.org, where you can check out frequent blog posts and history articles by numerous historians. In addition to our blog, we are active on social media. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We host an annual symposium that takes place in Alexandria, Virginia, and we now also host Battlefield Bus Tours. We also have the Emerging Revolutionary War book series, published by Savas Beattie. To date, we have four titles out and more on the way. These books offer a brief, readable, and illustrated narrative and include self-guided tours of the battlefields. So far, we have books on Lexington and Concord, Trent and Princeton, Monmouth, and Valley Forge. Check them out wherever books are sold. We always offer speakers that can talk about a range of Revolutionary War topics, and our historians have been featured in places such as C-SPAN, American History TV, and Fox Nation documentaries. Make Emerging Revolutionary War your home for the 250th anniversary of America's independence. This show is filmed live every other week on our Facebook page, so if you'd like to watch these live and have an opportunity to engage with us, check us out every other Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook page. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, everyone. This is Rob Orson with the Emerging Revolutionary War. Uh, We are coming to you live from Embassy Cigar Lounge here in northern Stafford County, Virginia. I'm joined uh, with Mark Malloy, another ERW historian, and our good friend John Adams from Liberty Cigars. Um, John has been a great supporter of ours, and we've been really excited about doing this tonight because it mixes history and cigars, which is, if you know ERW, you guys follow us on all of our videos, you know usually the cigars come with the history. <laughs> uh, but tonight our focus will be a little bit about um, John's uh, business, Liberty Cigars, a little bit about Memorial Day and John's passion for history, and then we'll open up. If you have any questions, please feel free to put them on the chat. Uh, I definitely want to thank the, the guys here at NBC Cigar Lounge and Stafford for letting us be here tonight. This is a great place if you are in this region, just south of the Quantico Marine Base. Uh, the museum is just up the street here. Please visit this place, it's excellent. It's a great place to come visit, and we'll talk more about them a little bit later. But uh, Mark, you want to talk a little bit about Memorial Day and just kind of you know, why this weekend is so important to uh, Americans who study history and military history. Yeah, well, uh, happy Memorial Day to everybody uh, watching. This is a uh, perfect time to uh, uh, talk about this. Uh, a lot of people celebrate Memorial Day as the unofficial beginning of summer. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's much more than that. It's the time we remember men who gave their lives uh, for this country. Uh, from all of America's wars. And I think oftentimes we focus a lot on the, the founding fathers, men who created this country, um, but uh, our liberties and our freedom all came at a price. Uh, and that price was paid in blood in the Revolutionary War from 1775 to 1783. Uh, a lot of people don't think of it as that bloody of a war, but it really was. Um, almost uh, 25,000 Americans gave their lives during that time period, which uh, at that time period, that was 1% of the entire American population. So if you consider it today, out of 330 million Americans, it'd be the equivalent of three and a half million Americans losing their lives. That's good math for a historian. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it, it, it goes to show you that, uh, you know, it, it touched everybody's life in the American colonies uh, during that time period. Um, and so their sacrifice, and those were men who died in, in the field on com in combat. Those were guys who died of their wounds, but it was also men who died of disease, men who died as prisoners of war. A lot of people forget that almost 12,000 of those deaths were men who were captured by the British, put on prison ships, and died uh, on those prison ships. And what's amazing to me in that particular story is that the British gave them an option to get off the prison ships if only they took the king's shilling and joined the British army. Uh, what's amazing to me is many did take that way out, uh, but many didn't. Um, and those guys who didn't gave everything. They lost their lives. Uh, and it's important on this Memorial Day that we, we remember their sacrifice. Uh, and I, I love that we're meeting here at the uh, Embassy Cigar Lounge here because, as Rob noted, we're very close to the uh, Marine Corps uh, Museum and the Marine Corps base here. And uh, the Marines started uh, during the Revolutionary War, the Continental Marines, um, and one of the first uh, Continental officers to die in a land battle actually happened at the Battle of Princeton uh, in 1777, Captain William Shippen, who died there. Uh, and so it, it's a great place to, as we honor the, the service and sacrifice of the Marine Corps that were here today. Um, and that's why I'm so glad that John Adams has joined us. And, as Rob mentioned, that you know, when we're visiting historic sites, walking battlefields, uh, you know, as we you know are able to enjoy these beautiful places where men sacrifice, uh, it's enjoyable to walk around with a cigar. Uh, and we often would walk around with cigars and just random cigars that we would uh, purchase um, until we found about about Liberty cigars, uh, and this was the combination of our love of history. Um, and our love of cigars, and uh, so it was a wonderful meeting John last year, and uh, we were hoping to have him on last year for an event, and uh, uh, but we're glad we finally got him in person here at the uh, cigar lounge. So, uh, and I gotta tell you, the first time I talked to John, he told me about how he started his company, and it was uh, an inspiring story of how he, uh, what drove him to create this company and to create these cigars that we're gonna talk about tonight. Uh, so I'll turn it over to John and let him give you a little background on, yeah, why, why, why Liberty Cigars and, and how did this start? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, actually. I started it uh, so that uh, there would be at least a kernel or thread of remembrance for these brave people uh, that sacrificed everything, uh, even if they did not give the ultimate sacrifice, which is what this weekend is all about. They sacrificed their sacred honor, their uh, fortunes and their lives out of order there, but uh, uh, in order to make this happen, and I just believe as long as we can have even a thread of remembrance for their sacrifice, that, uh, that we'll have the courage ourselves when the national emergency occurs, which uh, given the state of the world right now can happen at any time. I, I just uh, believe that the memory of these folks, the obscure ones in there like White Horse Harry Lee and Daniel Morgan and Israel Putnam, uh, they ought to be remembered for their courage and their dedication and their love of liberty. Lafayette is a perfect example of that. Uh, and I, I founded uh, the Liberty Cigar Company uh, for that sole purpose. Uh, uh, and cigars, of course, as you mentioned, are, are a wonderful uh, contemplative uh, leisure activity where you can sit and ponder. Uh, you can do it in, in, uh, in alone or you can do it in the company of friends or in the company of new friends as we are tonight. And uh, 
it's just an extraordinary way to take a leisure activity and celebrate the, the magnificence of this country and all that it represents. So you mentioned White Horse Harry Lee, which is from Prince William County, just north of here, one of my favorite cigars. Um, you've told Mark and I many times how you put so much thought into each cigar. So talk a little bit about that. So each cigar, you know, I think Mark's smoking the George Washington right now. Right. So yeah. let's talk about that for a second. So why did you name that particular cigar for George Washington? What was the thought process behind that? Well, what I, what I did, I started by writing uh, biographies on uh, all everybody uh, of significance, all the seminal figures in American history. Uh, and I, I started at you know ten thousand words, and then got down to five, and then uh, and then eventually I, I broke it down to three adjectives which described them. And I took them to the cigar maker, my friend Juan Carlos Jimenez. I call him the second most interesting man in the world because uh, his story is incredible. But uh, anyway, he uh, he was the only one that listened to me about what I was trying to accomplish. So George Washington is big and bold. The uh, Nicaraguan uh, leaf is actually the arrow leaf, which is, which is the top leaf. It sits and bakes in the sun, and uh, uh, he was uh, likewise always out there putting himself at risk. Uh, he put himself in the national spotlight, if you will, the sun, uh, and, 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 and literally risked his honor at every turn. Uh, it uh, it's imparts all the great things that you think of within the martial uh, world, and that is, uh, it's got leather, it's got almost a steely type uh, element to it, it's got a little bit of pepper uh, to it, uh, which represents gunpowder, all the things that uh, uh, that uh, sort of embody George Washington in that role uh, in the beginning. And, uh, and then uh, the binder is a Connecticut broadleaf, it's the one tobacco that's actually harvested from its roots, harvested very violently compared to the delicate way they do the other leaves, and it's thrown up into the uh, Barn to cure and uh, roots and all, and those roots just continue to uh, infuse the, their character into the binder leaf, which uh, uh, that's the way Washington grew up uh, with his sort of historic roots. Uh, and then the Dominican and the Nicaraguan filler, the long leaf filler, actually is, is more refined. It sort of refines the tobacco, uh, the cigar, rather, and it, 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 it sort of embodies what he was. Uh, later in life, when he took the helm, being the first president, uh, he was sort of that calming force uh, and a very sophisticated way to govern. Uh, he marshaled uh, the different uh, personalities, Hamilton and Jefferson, keeping those two in line was a monumental task, and he did that with a plum. So um, that's how I built that particular cigar. Yeah, I, I love the descriptions because, you know, this is like when I go to a wine tasting and they <laughs> normally all taste the same to me, but uh, especially as you describe this and as I'm smoking it, yeah, you, I, you know, you mentioned that pepper, I can, I can taste that. Yeah. And uh, uh, when you talk about, you know, and that's what I love about these cigars. Somebody asked me once, I was explaining, oh, hey, uh, we have a friend, he makes these historic cigars. And they said, well, is, is this what they would have smoked? Uh, and I said, well, no, they, they had, you know, they were, I, cigars, I don't even think, were really a thing in the 18th century. It was something that they usually smoke pipes. Um, John Adams was an avid smoker. So. Uh, there you go. All right. <laughs> in fact, he was the first uh, uh, to one of the White House. So. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Most, of, most, most of them did up until the late 19th, even the mid 20th century was cigars. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I love the, the stories of. Uh, 
of, of what thought goes into it and then how that reflects their actual personalities and their history. Um, if, you, if you touch your lip about right now, you can actually taste the uh, cedar and leather. Uh, oh, yeah, I taste that. <laughs> well, that's that's so fantastic. And, and you know, you just described Washington. I wanted to point this out. Uh, and if you're interested in actually getting yourself a Liberty Cigar, you can actually go to is it LibertyCigars.com? LibertyCigars.com, right on the side of the box. Father's Day is coming up in a few weeks. Well, uh, we, call it, we call it Founding Father's Day. There you go, Founding Father's Day. <laughs> There's a Founder's Collection. He's got the Founder's Collection. He's got a bunch of different collections. And he covers not just Revolutionary War and 18th century. He goes all the way up to Teddy Roosevelt, 20th century, um, and everything in between. But I love this. This is the Washington... Commander series, uh, and what's very cool about this is uh, uh, you get this box with the man himself, his signature, George Washington, right there. But when you open it, uh, you can actually see he's included a map of the Siege of Yorktown uh, carved in there, and you get uh, cigars with, with numerous Revolutionary War, all of Washington's commanders. Uh, uh, Francis Marion, Henry Knox, Nathaniel Green. Uh, so, you know, it's a great uh, opportunity that I know when we go to battlefields, for instance, when we're down in South Carolina going to a South Carolina battlefield, we like to take uh, Francis Marion out or something like that. So yeah, there's, it's, uh, there's even uh, uh, Benedict Arnold in there. Uh, we gave him a great cigar for his victory at Saratoga. Uh, <laughs> uh, we turned his band up. Oh. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Billy Griffith is a big Arnold fan. He's actually behind the camera right now. Uh, love that oh, yeah. He actually is working on a book about Ben Arnold. So, uh, I'll be sure to send you a copy. I get at least one email a week from a uh, web designer that says, uh, "I need to do your web design work because your cigar uh, band is upside down," and I have to email him and tell him it's, it's actually correct. <laughs> That's actually a good point, because I was just looking at it, thinking, no, that's upside down, but it's Benedict Arnold. Yeah, you got to give him his due. You got to give him his due, but you can't give him all his due. Correct, yeah, and that's something, when we were up at Saratoga seeing the, you know, there is a, a monument to Benedict Arnold up there. doesn't mention him by name, but it is. It, it, his boot. Yeah. It, yeah, his boot, you know. I mean, he did, yeah, he did sacrifice, uh, you know, that bullet had killed him there at Saratoga. He'd be on that, uh, he'd be right up there with George Washington for what he had done for our country, so up to that point. Definitely was a hero and a patriot up to a point. Isn't it true that, uh, that he and Danny Morgan were the two best field commanders in Washington's arms? I would say so. Yeah, Yeah, I would argue, uh, a lot of people have argued, yeah, that uh, Arnold and, and Morgan were, were some of the best, uh, especially on the field, um, right. just like Washington. They were constantly exposing themselves, willing to put themselves out there with their men. Uh, well, Arnold's always trying to prove himself, too, which goes into that a little bit. You know, he's willing to take that extra risk. Well, so. I, what, what struck me about the two is they experienced uh, it's very similar sort of um, sight from Congress. And yet, mm. Benedict Arnold succumbs to a 19-year-old uh, young lady, and Daniel just... <laughs> uh, Keeps keeps going actually, uh, and it doesn't become a traitor. So it, uh, it, the, the character of two men very similar in, in uh, many ways. Yeah, yeah, and I love and, and you have Washington's commanders, and then yeah, in the founding series also 
Uh, one of the ones I loved, uh, you have uh, uh, Dr. Joseph Warren, too. Uh, and when we talk about people sacrificing their life, I mean, he was, not only did he have, you know, the ideals and the love of liberty, uh, but he was willing to actually give his life uh, for those ideals at Bunker Hill. Every year when, uh, when if somebody places an order on actual Memorial Day, I include a free uh, Joseph Warren as a surprise. I've never told anybody that, I guess, until just now. Uh, <laughs> get your orders in tomorrow. <laughs> his his uh, sacrifice is just, uh, it's just incredible fun. And, uh, in fact, he shows up and they try to give him a general's commission and he, he wants to be a private. It's, it's just emblematic of, of the way people ought to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, there isn't many people yet who, uh, and, and for his life to be cut so short that early on in the conflict, I mean, he would have been a, a major player in all of early American history, I have no doubt, uh, but he was willing to, to lay it down. And, and a man of means, uh, you know, he had a lot to sacrifice, I mean, everybody had a lot to sacrifice their life, but, uh, but, but he was not willing to let his status in life, his, his uh, generalship that he was, was coming his way, he wouldn't let any of that get in the way of actually being in the trenches and fighting with his fellow uh, Massachusetts men um, and pay the price. So John, so we're talking about history. So we all have this background story of how we got into history. Do you have a background story of how you got interested in early American history? Well, it's, uh, I want to give you a long story, but uh, I'll, I'll be brief. Uh, uh, I was in the fifth grade, and my fifth grade teacher, uh, our, our only assignment for the entire uh, quarter in those days, semester, I guess, uh, was to write out, handwrite the Declaration of Independence on a big wow. paper. So we wrote the entire thing, and we stopped at each paragraph, and and, uh, and we learned about each one. And at the end of the semester, she takes lemon juice, and she rubs it on the paper, and then uh, she borrows a Bunsen burner from a science lab, and, uh, and she burns it, and it makes the paper turn into that wonderful aged parchment color. And I, I kept that thing for a decade. Uh, and uh, I just... Remember writing and reading about the Declaration of Independence, and I learned about it. But um, I formed uh, the American History Guild, which is the parent company of this one. Um, but during 9/11, we were actually over in uh, Vietnam adopting uh, my uh, son John Henry, and uh, he uh, wonderfully he's the junior at Georgia Tech now. Uh, but he, uh, when we were coming back from dinner, before we were able to get him, uh, they they struck the towers. Uh, and I don't remember who it was. I wish I could find out. It was a young man. Uh, he was not particularly polished as they were interviewing him, but one of the networks, and it may have been a foreign network, I'm not sure. But he said, uh, he, I, it's an incredible uh, comment that he made. He said, those, those boys that knock these buildings down don't understand. We don't live in America. America lives in us. And I remember I turned to my wife when I saw that. I just said, I've got to make sure that America always lives in us, that we'll always be in America. And that's why I founded the company. So we do, uh, we do historic uh, uh, development, historically inspired buildings. We, do, uh, we teach a lot about architecture and we do um, the cigars. We've got a new whiskey coming out that's, and that's a surprise that I can't reveal yet. Oh, that's, wow. that's tied significantly. <laughs> it's going to blow you away when I tell you. Uh, uh, sorry that I, I do a tease like that. No, teases are great. It's just, you're not going to believe what it is. Um, but we uh, uh, we do, we have a couple of children's books coming out. 
one of one of them's called the original Animal House, and it's uh, it, the White House pets actually tell the story of their time at the White House. So, uh, the first book that I, we've written is uh, on uh, John Quincy Adams. Uh, Lafayette gave him an alligator, uh, which he kept in the White House. Right? <laughs> did his state tour, and uh, uh, John Quincy used to delight. In, as you know, he was a pious and very sort of, uh, uh, I guess, irritable and peevish man, but he, uh, uh, generally speaking. <laughs> Uh, to the office seekers, and he would send them into the bathroom uh, to be frightened by this alligator in the bathtub. He kept it there for a few weeks. Uh, so Old Sawtooth is his name, and he tells the story of Louisa Catherine Adams uh, actually raises silkworms. She literally did. And so he meets Lee Me and seeing the silkworms who uh, uh, were over, uh, uh, came over uh, during the uh, Boston Tea Party. They had mistakenly put uh, mulberry leaves instead of tea leaves in, in one of the boxes. And so that's how they got here. Uh, and they impressed upon old Sawtooth, who would live to be 70, uh, that silkworms only live to be 30 days old, and so it's incumbent upon them to tell their stories of their, of their ancestry and their family and their history. And so they teach him about their ancestors. And uh, he's astounded when he discovers that uh, the, the Boston Tea Party uh, uh, ancestors of theirs uh, are hundreds of generations back. <laughs> uh, so it's 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 fascinating. Uh, so we we tell those stories, and we're doing one for every president. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, Roosevelt's kids—they actually uh, he would uh, get the uh, uh, army to flood the back of the White House, and they would stage battles, and they would have their uh, their uh, hamsters and their gerbils and everything uh, as commanders, and they had uh, they had wonderful names. And uh, Alice had uh, a uh, pet garter snake called Emily Spinnet because she hated. Her aunt Emily, and she hated spinach, so she named the snake after her. <laughs> uh, uh, one of the kids, uh, Kermit, had a uh, Algonquin, which was a Shetland pony, and uh, when he was ill one day, his brothers brought him up in the uh, Victorian White House elevator to the second floor, and, and uh, Algonquin would only stare at his reflection all the time. He was just fascinated with his, his reflection in the mirror of the, uh, of the uh, elevator, and so Algonquin has a, a little bit of a Pepe Le Pew type uh, attitude, so... Uh, where do you find the time from? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm embarrassed to say I just write when I'm inspired, and so I get yeah, that's great. I, I just so that I have about 30 different projects that are all undone. Uh, it drives my wife crazy. She's like, just <laughs> finish one. But I have presence revealed, which I am done with. Uh, it's it's unknown stories about presidents, and then uh, we've got uh, uh, a book on cigars coming out called The Virtuous Vice, and it's uh, the uh, Ten, although there's twelve virtues, I got to take two away. Uh, ten virtues of smoking cigars. Uh, so oh. give us one. One well, is what we're doing right now. It's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, uh, remembrance, uh, which is very important. It talks about rituals and the need to, uh, to talk about history and uh, and uh, those that fed this earth before us. Uh, that's one of them. Uh, another one that's obviously we're doing right now, and it's it's camaraderie and companionship. Uh, uh, hope is one of them. You can't uh, smoke a cigar and not uh, solve at least a small corner of your world's problems. Uh, there's a point. <laughs> uh, so uh, that is uh, that is just a few. I, I don't want to bore you with the rest of them, but uh, no, that's great. And and you do uh, events with like the White House and mm -hmm. other historic sites, right? Yeah, we have that that series there in the President's House. We just did. Um, Stuart McLaurin, the uh, president of the White House Historical Association, wanted to honor the five uh, presidents who uh, did significant 
first on the White House, so there's Washington, James Monroe, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, Truman, and um, uh, JFK. And that plaque right there is in the, uh, when you walk into the White House, that plaque uh, is there, and it's got the seminal dates of where the significance of uh, construction or reconstruction went on. Uh, Truman placed that there in 1952. Hmm. And uh, so each one of those cigars uh, tells its own story. That's the motto of the Liberty Cigar Company. Every cigar has a story to tell. Yeah, and there are so many stories you're telling here. Because, yeah, you know, like I said, I'm, I see Theodore Roosevelt, you mentioned Truman, you got all the founders. I guess uh, what what other uh, uh, what other stories are coming down the pipe? I guess. Uh, well, we got uh, <laughs> uh, with, with, uh, Josh, who's one of the co-owners here. We're doing we're collaborating on a cigar, uh, and it's the Oliver Hazard Perry cigar, and it's part of a larger set, uh, which is a naval uh, series, and it's going to have all the great naval heroes of the early Republic uh, and, and the Revolution. Uh, so it's got. Uh, John Paul Jones. It's got actually the three Johns. It's got John Adams and John Barry and John Paul Jones, who were uh, you know, sort of as a, as a trinity considered to be the founders of the American Navy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's got Thomas uh, McDonough and uh, the, uh, Edward uh, Preble and uh, and Oliver Hazard Perry. That's fantastic. Yeah. No, I think that the the early period of the U.S. Navy is a uh, Incredibly important and often overlooked. Uh, so I think it's, it's a great way it's, to tell it. It's kind of sad because you look at Oliver Hazard Perry, his line, first of all, we talked about the prison ships. His father actually, they called him Raymond Perry, uh, he actually was in prison on the Jersey. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Which mm -hmm. out of the 12,000 that you mentioned that died, 8,000 were from that one ship. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and it was just a, a descriptions there. But he managed to escape, and rather than Going far into the wilderness and hiding away, he actually rejoined the merchantman and got recaptured again, which was was uh, prophetic uh, for him. But um, but uh, and they ship him to Ireland, um, and uh, he eventually the war ends. He comes back, um, but he was an extraordinarily brave man himself, and you can see how he had uh, implicated that sort of uh, uh, honor and valor and patriotism in his son. And, uh, so he, he uh, marries this um, uh, wonderful lady who was the, considered to be the most strikingly beautiful woman in, in uh, Rhode Island, uh, supposedly, and uh, Oliver Hazard Perry was considered to be a handsome man, but she uh, was of the William Wallace stock herself. So oh, yeah, right. all these wonderful people that came over were, uh, were uh, of that sort of uh, Scotch-Irish, very uh, uh, sort of simple, but party stock. And uh, she raised two boys. Uh, obviously, his brother, a younger brother, Matthew, was uh, the one who sailed into Edo Bay, Tokyo Bay, and, and actually opened up uh, relations with the Japanese, scared them to death. Uh, but he had steamships, and they thought they were the dragons. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and they uh, were praying for the uh, uh, kamikaze, uh, the divine wind to come in and, and uh, wash him away, but it didn't happen. And uh, he wound up negotiated a treaty there that uh, opened up uh, coal lines, uh, huh. uh, coal stations in the, in the Pacific there for the American Navy to flex its muscles. So wonderful, um, wonderful uh, family there, the Perry family. Is, we've got to remember them. And, and, uh, that his actions in the Battle of Lake Erie are just absolutely 
you sit as young young men yourselves and an older man, me, uh, I, I think when I do what he did, when I have the courage to do that, and I think that's why these things are so important, especially on a weekend like today. Yeah. This weekend. No, for sure. And, and you know, I often, when I think of Oliver Hazard Perry, I think of him uh, uh, taking that flag off the ship, the don't give up the ship uh, motto that, uh, you know, one of his officers, uh, Lawrence, who had uh, been killed earlier, cried out, you know, before he passed away. Right. And uh, uh, just be, yeah. yes, and you think of the, uh, yeah, the determination. So they knew the sacrifice that would need to be made and were willing to, to sow that uh, phrase onto that flag and, and carry it into battle. And, uh, yeah, it was, just, it was a surprise to the crew and the uh, and that whole squadron were nine ships, including the, uh, he was on the Lawrence at the time, and obviously that got absolutely pummeled. And then uh, he gets in a rowboat and uh, it rowed a half a mile to the Niagara, takes command of that, and, and, and that's where the, uh, the cigar comes from. But, uh, he had a disadvantage in the battle early, and that's why the Lawrence was destroyed, and that he didn't have the long guns that the British did, but he had the caramelies, which is the short guns. And they were not just small caramelies, they were 32 pounders, and he knew that if he could get in close, he could destroy them. That's exactly what he did. It was incredible. Uh, and uh, the cigar is built for that. It's, this is a Brazilian wrapper. I'm smoking a prototype of it right now. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's got that wonderful, big pepper that comes in in the beginning which simulates the gunpowder and it's so powerful when you first light it up it, it really assaults the sinuses and you, if you if you imagine if you have the imagination I do anyway imagine <laughs> yourself on that ship with the gunpowder and the smoke and the conflagration just surrounding you and that's what you feel when you light this thing up and then uh, the pepper stays throughout the thing which is emblematic of his personality but it gets smoother as it goes down and he became uh, Oliver Hazard Perry uh, was uh, such a quick thinker and so uh, brilliant, he became a diplomat. In fact, he uh, negotiated with the Day of Algiers and uh, uh, on some American shipping rights. And uh, uh, John Quincy Adams recognized his abilities and eventually sent him to uh, South America where he died. And that's why I chose the Brazilian rapper for that as well. Uh, that sort of rap. <laughs> that, uh, he actually, unfortunately, died at 34. He contracted yellow fever and and uh, passed away. Uh, but um, uh, in, in uh, on he was buried on the Trinidad in, in his uh, uh, which was a British uh, island uh, and uh, they were worried he had to be buried because it was in August and they did not want to ship him all the way back to to uh, Rhode Island in uh, in the middle of uh, the summertime and so they they got permission to to bury not long this was not long after this was uh, uh, only six years after the battle and uh, the governor of Trinidad uh, allowed him to be buried there which was pretty extraordinary. And that's the respect that uh, the British had for his abilities uh, that he was buried. He was in 1826, about seven years later, he was moved uh, back to Rhode Island where he, uh, where he now rests. But uh, pretty extraordinary. He uh, actually uh, fought a duel on the exact same spot that Hamilton did. And he told his second, one of which was Decatur, Stephen Decatur, uh, who's also in that in the Naval series, uh, that, uh, that he was not going to fire a shot. And if he died, so be it. And the, the, the five paces, the guy pulls the trigger, misses him, and he lays his gun down on the ground <laughs> and uh, walks away. And uh, they asked the guy if he was satisfied. And he went, uh, oh, okay, yeah, I guess so. Uh, not yet. <laughs> uh, so uh, is that the bravery and the, and the honor that he displayed is just definitely uh, worthy.
Yeah, that's great. That's one of the reasons why I'm excited about this film. Yeah. And it's fantastic, at least from my <laughs> And you're planning on releasing that? Uh, on his uh, the anniversary of the battle, September 13th. Very cool. So keep an eye out for that. I know I'm definitely going to check out that. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to do it in Erie at, um, at Josh's uh, new uh, place. Oh, really? Oh, Excellent. Uh, yeah, it's opening there in Erie, Pennsylvania uh, sometime uh, soon, but uh, the cigar we have at that time. Excellent. We've got to age it. These are uh, getting pretty close to being uh, perfect, I think. But. Yeah, about how long does it take to, uh, yeah, to make one? Uh, well, the cigars are made fairly quickly, but uh, depending on the blend, like some of them that I sell are, are basically um, six months, but uh, these hardier ones, particularly uh, Brazilian wrappers that have that sort of robust pepper thing, I like to keep them a year so, okay. so before we sell them. Uh, that's why we're, uh, we could release them in another uh, month if we wanted to, but I, I think we're going to go away from them. And they got, he's got a wonderful traveling humidor, uh, which is Can't awesome. The mobile humidor. Yep. Yeah, it's, got a, it's got George Washington on the side of it. Uh, <laughs> eight feet tall. Yeah, it's a eight feet tall George Washington. Can't beat that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, you, you frequently are, are traveling in it, uh, going to different places uh, to do events about cigars. I think that's a great way to... Um, Tell people about the cigars. Yeah, you awesome? can't miss it. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been driving up 95 and have people say, can you pull over and get yourself a cigar? <laughs> well, I do every time. I do it because the 800 was right on the back. It's the front of God and everybody. And last time I was in the Humidor, you had a prototype for a statue of George Washington. Yeah, he's, he's, he's 13 feet tall. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell folks about the statue. Oh, I think this Mr. is Tretton over here. Go yeah, ahead. this yeah. is very, very cool. Yeah, story. actually, tell me if I get any facts. <laughs> uh, no, I just I remember reading uh, uh, some of the journals, and uh, a lieutenant, Bostic, Bostic, had kept the, one of the great diaries in the Red War, and he, he talks about an event where they crossed the Delaware, they're three hours behind. Obviously, there's a nor'easter blowing. It's uh, the wind chills in the teens. Actually, it's in the single digits. Washington is going up and down the ranks, telling them, "Please do not sit down. Keep your men moving. Keep your men moving." They get to Jacobs Creek, and they, they have discovered that, that they only have three artillery pieces in Trenton, the, the, uh, the Hessians. Uh, so he wants to have the advantage. So he's determined to bring all 18 of his cannon to uh, to the uh, battle, and so. They have to go down a hundred foot ravine and back up, and they're cinching these cannon down, down the ravine, and they have to cinch them back up to get them there. And uh, so there's a stall. Uh, well, Old Nelson, his war mount, slips uh, on the ridge there, and he's about ready to tumble. And somehow he grabs the mane with his left hand and the reins with his right, and he keeps that fifteen hundred pound horse from falling down, uh, which would most certainly have injured him badly. It could have killed him. And I just I just thought there is no way that if he is significantly injured or dies in the, at that moment that we would be here today. And so uh, and I was amazed there wasn't a treatment of that event anywhere in art that I'm aware of. So I commissioned a sculptor uh, to uh, do it and it's a 13 foot tall statue of George Washington. So I, I carry a, I'm doing 76 Maquettes, smaller versions of them, they're like 40 inches, 42 inches tall, so they're miniatures of it. And I, I, at every event, I pull out the, uh, 
with George Washington. Um, I've, I've had to start working out so I can keep doing it because it weighs 150 pounds. <laughs> I have to lift that thing up and out and on a table. And uh, so, no, it's it, it's a fantastic representation of it. And any of you who actually came on our bus tour in November. We actually went right over Jacobs Creek, and I pointed it out uh, that that was a significant spot that, yeah, Washington almost ate it, uh, but was able to, to pull the to horse up and, 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 and regain the composure. I mean, Washington was renowned as one of the greatest horsemen of his age. He and Billy. His, uh, yep, his, uh -huh. his, yeah, his uh, slave, uh, Billy Lee, who would follow yeah. him, and he, I'm sure he was with him at that oh, at that yeah, night yeah. as well. Yeah. But, uh, and I love the uh, the piece of art that he commissioned because uh, in addition to everything you described, uh, it is such a way that when you walk around it, you can kind of see, oh, yeah. uh, which yeah. I thought yeah. was so cool because you can actually see uh, you know, uh, how he like was able to pull the Yeah, the way, the way it's uh, mounted and designed is when you're when you look at it uh, from the first position, it it looks like there's no way that horse is not going to tumble. Uh, and it's literally at a what, 45 degree angle. Um, and then as you walk around uh, and look at it from the front, you're like, well, he's got a hold of it. Uh, uh, maybe he'll he'll pull this one out, and then you walk around and say, "I think he's going to make it." And if you look at it from this side, it looks like a regular uh, mm -hmm. uh, soldier mounted on a horse, and you're like, it, 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 "So it represents the instability of the of the what would be our republic in that moment." That's that is an amazing analogy of because that's something as a public historian you're talking about. The Revolutionary War in the early founding period, if people don't realize, you kind of think, oh, Washington crossed the Delaware. Yeah. He won the battle. Yeah. We won at Yorktown. Yeah. We created the Republic. And, you know, we live in this country today. The, at numerous points along that timeline, everything could have gone in a totally different direction. Yeah, the <laughs> tell the that's why it's wonderful what you guys do. That's, that is so true. Yeah, at numerous points. And that's where, you know, that's where you get this uh, awe of gratitude. For the men of that period, because right. once you realize that it could have done, gone a totally different path, you're like, if it wasn't for what these guys did, we would not have the country we live in today. So it's uh, it's pretty amazing. But, well, and, and what what I love about that is it's uh, even though the George Washington was a slave owner, and uh, you have sort of uh, that would be considered by the 21st century audience a mark on his character. Um, that is not the whole of the of the man. And you look at his, uh, I mean, his honor, his personal honor that was instilled in him at a young age would not let him quit. Uh, and if, if you uh, immerse yourself in, in his, in that campaign, uh, eight years, uh, uh, there were, the, the average man would have quit. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, uh, not even the average man, an extraordinary man would quit. And it, it, uh, I look at that through all the, and my, trials in life do not even come close to compare to that. But it, uh, it does give you um, uh, inspiration to know those stories. I think that's a perfect word, inspiration. And I'm inspired constantly reading about and learning about them. And that's, yeah, what we try to do is, especially that campaign you're talking about with Trenton and Princeton. I mean, Washington's army dissolves from 23,000 men to only about 3,000 men. <laughs> I mean, the fact that those 3,000 stuck it out is... I mean, it's hard to fathom uh, uh, the, the perseverance and the courage that they had. Um, and, you know, 
we're, we're here on Memorial Day, you know, one of the best places to go is to the graves of, of the men who, who gave their lives. I think that's one of the most meaningful places is right along the banks of the Delaware River. And we went there in our tour last November uh, is a, a group of Patriot soldiers who died that December. Uh, and, you know, unnamed, uh, unknown soldiers who gave their lives, as far as they knew, in December 1776, the cause of American independence was a lost cause. Um, and uh, many of them were from Virginia, uh, all the way up to New Hampshire. They were from all across the country. Um, and, uh, and they were far from home, and they died alone of sickness on the banks of the Delaware, thinking that this was a lost cause. Uh, but here we have the opportunity uh, you know, 250 years later to thank them for what they did. Uh, and it's very moving to think about how much, yeah, how much gratitude we should have for that sacrifice. And all those who, uh, who came after them that were inspired by that example that actually gave their lives. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have generations of Americans and they constantly are calling back the patriotism and heroism of these guys in 1776. So. Well, you, you, you don't have the, the stomach or the, or the ability to do it without uh, the aspirational values that were created that you can, can come on. Yeah, and, that, and I think that's also something to, to keep in mind too, is, and you mentioned, I mean, these are not perfect people at all. These are, these are simply people, uh, but their, their, uh, their sacrifice should be held up, and that's what we honor. Um, and even though they're just people and, you know, we're not perfect in any way, uh, their, their honor and their sacrifice should always be remembered. Always. Um, I interviewed uh, uh, my historian, Bill Potter, um, and I interviewed a lot of World War II veterans uh, over the years. Uh, unfortunately, many of them are gone now, but uh, to a man, they were embarrassed by the moniker of the greatest generation. They would always say the greatest generation was the first one, and they would say that the first generation is what gives us the strength to do what, to do what we did. Uh, and I'm talking about people like Jim Starnes, who was the who was the uh, officer of the, of the day on at the on the Mighty Mo when when uh, they, the Japanese surrendered, and uh, several who stormed the beaches at Normandy. Punchy Powell, who blew his P-47s and P-51s into the German territory, but, you know, uh, it's just it's incredible. And, you know, I'll give a shout out to my wife's grandfather, uh, who's a U.S. Marine uh, veteran, uh, fought in the Pacific uh, during World War II, 17 years old. Uh, still alive, living out there in Bullhead City, Arizona, oh, uh, and we went and visited him uh, 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 just a, a few months ago, uh, uh, back around Christmas time, and um, I made sure I brought a, uh, some Liberty cigars with me and sat outside and had one with him. He's 97 years old, but enjoyed a cigar and uh, basically said uh, uh, what you just said, that um, uh, uh, the greatest generation were the guys that, that created this country. Um, and it was that, you know, I mean, I'm in awe of his sacrifice, his service during World War II. Um, yeah, that doesn't diminish. The, the, yeah, I know, the humility, though, that's what is uh, pretty that's amazing. Why, that's why they can be fairly called the greatest generation, because they're so humble. Yes. It's astounding <laughs> how humble they are. Uh, I remember uh, we interviewed Doug Van Kirk, who was a navigator on the NLEA, and uh, uh, he was given a a speech uh, to uh, uh, my 
group, and uh, he's standing there, and he's uh, telling you he's the most humble man. Uh, he uh, took pictures of my uh, John Henry when he was a, a little boy and uh, was talking. He was giving a speech, and he had a TIA, a, uh, a mini stroke there, and he just sort of stopped. And we had a doctor in the front row, fortunately, and he, he goes and Renders aid, we called the ambulance, of course, because we didn't want uh, Dutch Van Kirk dying in my place, <laughs> uh, or at all, I should say. But uh, anyway, he, he talks to, and, and uh, he refused to go anywhere because he hadn't finished his speech. And he wouldn't let them take him away. They went, he wound up giving them uh, the uh, first responders his autograph, and uh, he stood up, and he literally started right where he left off. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact words. Uh, he said, I'm going to start where I left off, and he finished his sentence. And uh, and afterwards, he stayed as old as he was uh, and, and talked to everybody. And, and, and I, I, I remember thinking, I want to be like him when I, when I grow up. You know, just how humble he was. But, uh, but. Sounds like uh, Ed Bars. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Ed, too. yeah. So Washington, we talked a lot about Washington, which if we let Mark talk about Washington, we'll be here for six hours. <laughs> so of this generation. He's got a George Washington. I but from this generation of the American Revolution, who do you think is most overlooked that you uh, admire and respect the most? You have a lot of guys on, in these cigars that are smaller named that most, you know, the general public don't know. I think it's a tie, and it, it's uh, and for different reasons. I think Daniel Morgan is, is uh, the fact that he was able to be so humble and he did not go down the Bill Fader path that uh, Arnold did when he was beset with the same circumstances. Uh, and then Lafayette. Hmm. And Lafayette was the opposite spectrum. Uh, I mean, that guy, I cannot believe that if one day this cigar company takes off and I have a, a bunch of money to throw out, I'm going to do a movie on Lafayette. I just think Lafayette is just incredible. I mean, he he grows up, he's obviously one of the Black Musketeers, he's part of the King's Guard, you know, he he comes of age and he has to dance with Marie Antoinette. She humiliates him because he doesn't know how to dance. And he winds up saving her life, at least on two occasions, uh, from the mob. Later, you know, he's, he meets his wife and she's he's faithful to her and she's faithful to him. Uh, but he, you know, he escapes. Uh, and the, the uh, king's musketeers are chasing him uh, all the way to uh, Spain. He, uh, he uh, flirts with a tavern girl. She misdirects him. He winds up... Uh, Changes his mind and then changes it again and then sails, lands north of Charleston. And he goes and uh, he says, I'm not here to teach, I'm here to learn. He's talking to George Washington. He uh, stays faithful, secures uh, uh, funding uh, when he goes back. Uh, obviously, he's wounded at Brandywine. And one of my ancestors actually talked to him on the battlefield there at Brandywine. Uh, and uh, 13-year-old John Adams was his name. Uh, his father uh, was... was uh, died in the Revolutionary War. He was mad that the British killed his father, so he uh, takes his uh, gun and uh, finds the first Marylanders and then literally goes on the battlefield with him. His, uh, his uh, guardian in those days, even though his mother, Magdalena uh, Adams, was uh, uh, able to take care of her. She lived to be 104 years old. He didn't die of old age. She was struck by lightning of all things. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so uh, she sends the guardian after him. He literally scoops him up on the battlefield as they were leaving. They pass a, uh, a, uh, uh, a French general uh, and uh, with a uh, wound uh, in his lower leg, his calf. And, uh, and he tells uh, young 13-year-old John Adams that it's just a, it's just a flesh wound. And, and uh, uh, he exits the battlefield and uh, 
So that's my Lafayette connection. But uh, he's my sixth great-grandfather. Um, and uh, uh, just the fact that he serves time in prison, his wife, Adrienne, actually says, I'm not leaving you. And so she literally gets in the cell with the children. He, she serves time in that Austrian prison with him. And, and of course, her health is destroyed. Uh, then uh, Jane Monroe, right here, uh, in there, and in here, uh, uh, in uh, uh, literally in the founder in the uh, uh, this series, he's also in the early Republic series, uh, secures her release, and uh, he eventually secures uh, Lafayette's release, and uh, uh, just his life is just it's Hollywood can't make it up. It's unbelievable. So there you go. Everybody Question. needs to buy some cigars so we can get this movie made. Because... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm telling you, Lafayette would be, uh, you know, just the most extraordinary uh, life to to, uh, to emulate. His courage. Uh, well, Morgan too. I mean, Morgan leads a, a very interesting life as well. Kind yeah, of a rough, rough and tough guy. Yeah. Right yeah. here. I mean. But Lafayette's, uh, I mean, he's, a, he's, he's straddling two worlds, the old world and the new world, and uh, yeah, trying he's, to he's, shed liberty. Yeah. He's one of the richest men in France. <laughs> Daniel Morgan was a hard scrabble, you know, sure. uh, the, the two lives of bar fighter. And yet they shared the same virtues yep. of uh, mm -hmm. honor and duty and, and, and bravery. I mean, Daniel Morgan getting shot in the back of the neck and uh, <laughs> having the ball come out of uh, the top of his mouth and, and still, you know, then the 499 lashes. Uh, and King George still owed him one, and he would uh, tell that story throughout his life. Just, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I just love the fact that he disregarded um, every, all the sort of the personal accolades that would have should have been accorded to him, and still did his duty. Uh, it's just uh, an inspiring story. Well, is there any comments on the live stream yet? If there's anybody who has an idea for a figure to be on a cigar. <laughs> I got an idea for one. Uh -oh. uh, you heard it. <laughs> How would you know? <laughs> That's my my suggestion. If you make another one, we need a one Three for uh, tomorrow. Yep. Yep. There is a uh, yeah Hugh Mercer, oh, local sorry. hero here from uh, Fredericksburg, oh, Virginia. Um, and, and your son's name set. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. So my firstborn has Washington as the middle name. My no second one has. <laughs> Mercer as the middle name, mm. uh, but yeah, Mercer, uh, 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 like Warren, uh, laying down his life. And another one that is often overlooked, John Lawrence, uh, who I think also, uh, you know, he was cut down in a in a skirmish down in South Carolina in 1782. Needless, yeah. needless, yeah. yeah. And but he had that. I mean, you talk about a hunger for military glory. Oh, I mean, sure. uh, to a reckless degree. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, his uh, father was one of the largest slave owners in South Carolina. He still petitioned to free his slaves. Yep. He was definitely, he and Alexander Hamilton and Lafayette were in, uh, in uh, Washington's year. Yep, I'm they sure were in his circle. Washington's club, yep. Uh -huh. yeah, I'm sure that he influenced him later in life which led to the freeing of uh, the slaves, uh, his slaves. Yeah, indeed. And the death of, uh, at his death. And, and uh, that's another thing. I mean, he bought a, a, a plantation, sugar plantation, um, uh, in you know, uh, in South America, uh, Guana, uh, yeah, uh, and it, with the express purpose of freeing them, just to free the slaves. That's, I mean, that that guy is just—I I call him a guy that may be disrespectful to him. Uh, uh, 
But uh, I mean, his, his, uh, uh, the Marquis, I should say. Uh, his life is just extraordinary. Uh, you know, his life is the kind of life that you study it, you're, you feel about two inches tall. Uh, yeah. I have done nothing, I don't have. Well, uh, when he comes back. Well, that, I was going to say, well, I, I, the, the tour is a big thing as a tourist of Revolutionary War mm. battlefields. It, he goes to all the battlefields, and I love you talk about Brandywine. You know, and just like me, you know, he's at Brandywine and all these people are asking him, where were you wounded? Where were you wounded? They keep asking him this. And Lafayette at one point gets frustrated and he says, why does it matter? Hundreds of other men uh, were wounded and killed here. Uh, uh, my blood shed along with theirs. Um, and it's that humility that's a value that seems to go across the, uh, many of those men. Yeah, uh, well, he- Giving that up, so. when, when he comes back and he lands in New York Harbor, when the Beatles land there in 1964, 8,000 people show up to, to greet them. Of course, they're the, the biggest thing since Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> when Lafayette shows up there, of course, it was 120 years, 40 years earlier, uh, almost to the day, uh, 80% of the population of, uh, of New York shows up. So, <laughs> so 0.01% <laughs> shows up for the Beatles and 80% show up for. Yeah, that tells you how powerful he was uh, in the minds uh, and the hearts of, uh, of Americans at that time. And uh, he definitely, unfortunately, is like a lot of these noble men that have been forgotten. Uh, his history has been uh, first truncated and, and now uh, hopefully not dissolved. But, uh, that's why we're here. That's why, that's, right. that's why you're here. That's why I'm here. And, and I gotta say, I love the Lafayette cigar in mm. that you, it's the same as the Washington. Lafayette's the closest thing to a son Washington mm. ever had. Um, and so I thought that was just so perfect. I, 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 I was uh, actually, I, I worked on his blends. Uh, I, uh, the George Washington, I did 400 different cigars before I, in fact, I was, I was I'm shaking from my, uh, from having too many cigars because I'd smoke like five a day just to try to get the blend right because your question had to be perfect. And then I got off the end. I, 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 like, yeah, I, I was working on a blend for him and I, and I was actually going to do something kind of unique and I was like, well, I can't. I, he's got to be exactly George Washington's blend, only a, a, a Toro instead of a president like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, thank God I had that work so I smoked another 400 cigars. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I enjoy it? You know. <laughs> Put you on the spot for a brief second as we, I think we get close to our time here. Phil, Phil's working, Phil and Billy are working the camera here. Um, so we know why this is important to study and keep up. What do you think, your personal opinion is, why is this important to keep the memory of these men alive and what can you learn from them today? Well, it's like a kaleidoscope of, of reasons. Um, uh, the first one, is there is in every one of these men there is a kernel of you in them that just has yet to be birthed and and blossomed uh, and if you can uh, study these great men and women I mean the women uh, Abigail Adams is one of my favorite uh, one of the more delicious if, if I can use that word in a Me Too time uh, Dolly Madison said, of course she was one of the more popular people in American history as well especially in her day. Uh, she was just absolutely brilliant. And uh, to, to extract those things, if you need personal honor to be your 
guiding light and your compass in life. And there's nobody better than George Washington. Uh, if you need, um, you know, fortitude, uh, then Daniel Morgan would be a great example of that. Uh, if you need courage, you can think even even Alexander Hamilton, uh, uh, Storm in the Redoubt, uh, what was it, Redoubt Number 10 at uh, Yorktown? Uh, just the fact that he was aching to get into battle to prove his mettle. Uh, uh, it is ironic that he was uh, chastising his son for being too rash and getting killed one day. But, uh, about, you know, not too long after, he of course does the same thing. But uh, so he had his flaws, of course. But all these, all these men. Israel put the courage. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's he's in uh, Cuba uh, during the French and Indian War, and uh, he comes upon a slave that's being built, uh, beaten by this. Spanish masters, and he grabs the cane from the guy and fends off all these people who were beating this slave, and, and, and he winds up, the slave follows him, he's like, oh, you, you don't understand, you have to protect me forever now, and he uh, gets on the boat with him and comes home, and that cane uh, was Israel Putnam's cane for uh, for uh, ever, uh, and then he wills it to, uh, he, did, he wasn't a slave, he was his servant. Uh, uh, that that courage to act in that moment uh, when the odds were stacked against him, uh, just for the for, just for the righteousness of the of the moment, uh, it's just it's inspiring. Uh, uh, even even Benedict Arnold, his courage uh, it warrants it. And then uh, in his case, the converse is true. This is what not to do. You don't want to compromise your honor uh, for financial gain or prestige or whatever he was seeking. It's kind of ironic. I guess you know where he's, he's in an elementary school in the in the mall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's, he's right behind the fish tank, uh, and, uh, so he has this ignominious uh, burial uh, that's that's uh, That's also what I, I find. It, and history is filled with people who who don't rise to that moment. Oh, Daniel Sickles comes to mind. Oh wow! Yeah. I love that. Guy. You know he. he uh, he, of course, is involved in the uh, in getting uh, Central Park done in New York. I mean, he was a very influential uh, man, but he was, uh, and then he, uh, obviously, in the Civil War, he, uh, uh, he uh, before that, he kills Francis Scott Key's son, yeah. and, and he's the first person who, insanity defense, uh, who actually <laughs> temporary insanity, and that's the first case in history where, uh, where that is uh, a successful case. Gets free, then uh, in the Civil War, he gets his leg blown off. He's, of course, smoking a cigar uh, as he leaves the battlefield, and then then after that, he has a dalliance with uh, with the Queen of Spain, Isabella, uh, and uh, you know, and he tries to get uh, Cuba, uh, rest Cuba away from her, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, his life is just absolutely uh, delicious too. It's, it's uh, and he's one of the great scoundrels in American history. I love that guy. Any idea of moving into Civil War cigars? Uh, I'm actually, uh, I began, and I was going to go in sequential uh, order. And uh, but uh, then I got approached uh, by the White House to start doing the presidential series. So I did the Early Republic, which is the first six presidents. I was going to do them in order. The Jacksonian Age is actually done. I, I haven't uh, released it yet, but uh, that's the next six presidents. So they'll be. I'm sorry, I don't have a Hugh uh, Mercer yet, but, <laughs> but I'm going to have a Mark Van Buren before that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but we'll. Uh, uh, so uh, I'm doing that. But yes, uh, we're doing uh, the naval series is kind of focusing on the War of 1812, and then, the, uh, and then uh, of course the Red War, and then uh, the Marines at the same time here, the Army. Uh, so I'm doing that. Uh, all the branches. Uh, the Space Force is going to be interesting. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Phil, 
any more any questions? Are we good to go? Everyone's just watching smoking cigars at home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> great, great holiday weekend. Yeah. Um, well, uh, any last thoughts, Mark, before we wrap up here? No, I want to thank John for coming on with us. Uh, thank him for his work here. I, I want to encourage everyone, yeah, if you enjoy cigars, definitely check out libertycigars.com. Uh, check them out. I think they're they're fantastic. And, uh, uh, yeah, no, it's the, it's the love and the knowledge that comes behind the cigars that I love. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and uh, most of them, they take between 45 minutes and three hours in that case of smoke. <laughs> if you don't learn about the person you're smoking during that time, then something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, John. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Embassy Cigar Lounge, for having us here tonight. And if you're in this region in Virginia, check this place out. It's a fantastic place. Yeah, right off Jefferson Davis Island. Right off right one out here, 95, right behind us, Marine Corps Basic, right next to us. Uh, Mark of the Thrones, Everson Davis Highway. <laughs> For a little bit longer here in, in Stafford. Uh, but we'll be back with ERW Live in two weeks uh, here on Sunday night at 7 o'clock in two weeks. It's the uh, 250th anniversary right. of the Gas Fee Affair. Uh, often overlooked, uh, but one of the uh, buildups to the breakout of the war uh, in 1775. And Remember, we are your home for the 250th anniversary of the Revolutionary War. So. And we also have our symposium coming up in September and our bus tour, which we have, I think, six tickets left, which is November 11th through 13th. That would be Phil Greenwald and Billy Griffith, who are working the camera tonight, covering Valley Forge to Monmouth. Um, we had a great tour last year of Trent and Princeton. We're going back to Jersey and, and Pennsylvania next, uh, this year, but uh, looking forward to that as well. So thanks again, John, and thank thanks to Miss Cigars, and thank you all. Take care. Thank you.